Hello, this is the Scottish Football Show, and here's what's coming up. SPL fell bosses under the spotlight. Melon's Melon got meloned and David Munro is getting a telling. And is Marvin Bartley going to batter my dad? Hello listeners, welcome to another episode of the Scottish Football Show. It still amazes me that that title is even available uh, in this day and age, but there you go, to our benefit, that is a, a joy for us here in TSFS Towers, two hours. I'm Andrew Slavin, and I can talk sometimes, and I will also be your host through the next half hour or so, minutes of conspiracy, controversy, and some football wedged in between it all. So to join me, cutting through the chaff, is queen of controversy herself, the penny sweetie pundit version of Chris Sutton, it's TNT's sports senior producer, Laura Brannan. Hello, Laura. Hello, how are you? I'm all right. It was a bit of a mouthful this week. <laughs> it was. You kind of struggled with that one. <laughs> oh, thanks very much for the vote of fucking confidence. <laughs> I'm back with a bang. You heard his chuckle there. It's Melbourne City's head creative, lead creative, Baldy Bain, Finlay Max. Hello. Can I, can I just get a quick uh, straw poll? What's, what's your favourite penny sweet? It's really a pick. What's your favourite pick and mix sweet, I guess, that, that way? Because it's all the cheap ones, right? It's got to be a cola bottle. I was going to say milk bottle. I don't oh, like no. cola bottles. A, a fizzy cola bottle is even better. A, a controversial one. Remember the pink shrimp? Oh, Ooh. so I was going to say the pink shrimp and the and the the, the yellow banana. They were, they oh, were my favourite. Oh, I hate banana. No, no, no. No, no. Minging. <laughs> See, anything that's flavoured of banana, it's uh-huh. disgusting. I like bananas. But if you flavour something... As a banana, it's a minging yeah, flavour. I don't even like banana like shower gel. Banana, hang on, hang on. <laughs> I didn't drink the shower gel, by the way. <laughs> Do you remember the Astro belts used to get as well? Oh, they yeah. were 5p, not 1p. But my favourite type were the ones, because sometimes you got like sherbet that was basically just sugar with a little bit of zing to it. But my favourite ones were the ones where, you know how sometimes you would put an Astro belt in and you would start to sweat because it was so <laughs> sour and sherbet Those were my favourite ones to get out of the tuck shop, the Penny Sweets. Yeah. There was, these were 10p ones, the, the, the tube of sherbet. It was like oh, a one yeah, tube. Yeah. And everyone yeah. used to try and down it in one oh, go. Yeah. And then you did that <laughs> coughing up a rainbow. This is not appropriate chat for Pancake Tuesday, by the way. We should have been asking each other what we're having on our pancakes more like. Well, there you go. You are bang on, Laura. You're quite right. Start us off. Pancake. This is a Scottish football show, by the way. Just in case you thought. Uh, but go on, Laura. Chocolate spread all day long. For dinner? Thin crepe. Thin crepe. I don't eat pancakes for dinner. It's my dessert. Thin crepes, layering of chocolate spread, rolled up. Perfect. Nice. That, that That's good. That's good. Finn? If it's a crepe, I would uh, mix it up between Nutella sometimes, but also the classic lemon and sugar is great as well. I had crepes for dinner. Or pancakes for dinner. I, I made, well, my missus, Emily, she made an Ayrshire classic. Do you know, like, in Ayr, all you get at dinner time, well, and all restaurants basically sell Cajun chicken crepes. So that's what I had for dinner. Oh. And I have Ooh. no idea why this is a thing in Ayr, or Ayrshire for that matter. You go to any restaurant, and they'll just, or barring a Indian or Chinese, and <laughs> they do, like, Cajun chicken crepes. And I don't know, it must be, like, wow. the local... Like cooking college, but that's how you leave with your Cajun <laughs> chicken, but chicken badge. Like pancakes, I like crepes, and I like Cajun chicken. So why not throw them all together? 
the bad night last night. You have enough. Fucking horrendous one now. Shall I kick things off with the, the laughy section? So, Air were playing uh, Rangers in the Scottish oh, sure, Cup. Surely you've got to go with the segue. Speaking of spicy chicken from Ayrshire. This is what, oh, and, and yeah, and it's Air. Oh my God. This is why I don't present the top programs. Uh, <laughs> But Scott Brown returned to to Ibrooks, um, which was uh, going to always be a spicy affair, like you've definitely alluded to, Finn. But I ju- they lost what two nil, two two nil to Rangers. Yeah, I mean it was it was one of those two nil going and six nil kind of games. But yeah, it was pretty comfortable, I think, <laughs> in the end for Rangers. I love the build up to this game where Scott Brown had said uh, before the match that he has a lot of love for Rangers. I mean, absolute wind up patter from the off. But um, there's a great photo of Scott Brown during this match picking up a yellow card from Willie Collum and the smile on his face. It's amazing. He just the, knew he woke up that day and was like, ah, I'm going to get a booking. I'm getting a booking <laughs> and I'm going to enjoy it and make the most of it. It's so funny. It's, the, 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 the picture, uh, uh, if, if for anybody that hasn't seen it, it's like the perfectly composed kind of picture. So it what's in focus is the back of Willie Collum running toward running towards the touchline, like one foot's off the ground with the yellow card raised. And then slightly to the left of that, you can see out of focus, but you can still totally make it out. <laughs> Scott Brown grinning like a Cheshire cat. With thumbs, doing up. thumbs up. Like that. <laughs> and then further behind that, you've got a whole gaggle of Rangers fans, especially there's one guy you can see clearly in an orange jacket with his, his arms raised <laughs> like that uh, above his... It's, it's, it's peak Scottish football. It's fantastic. Peak. I also... Of the whole debacle with the whole, you know, the old, the old firm Willie Collum, was it handball, was it a conspiracy thing from a couple of weeks ago? I just love that the SFA were just like, hang on a second, we've got an opportunity here to, to get Willie Collum back in doing a Rangers game with minimal fuss. <laughs> because you know Scott Brown is going to take all the flack in that game from the Rangers yeah. fans. And and nothing happened, it's without incident. So hopefully that's all the, the water under the bridge now. But yeah, it was it, it was good to see him back at Ibrox in some context. Um, still, still weird to see him with hair though, isn't it? It's so weird. So <laughs> yeah. weird. Yeah. Anyone else want to pick something up? I saw in, in, in true Sky Sports style, TalkSport took some inspiration and um, had a nightmare graphic. They had uh, they put Neil Warnock's stats out, but I don't actually know what jacket he's wearing. He's definitely not wearing an Aberdeen jacket. And he's definitely not got an Aberdeen badge next to him either. That is a Hibs badge <laughs> that slapped on that graphic. Mm. So I know I missed last week's chat when uh, Neil Warnock got announced as Aberdeen manager, but I didn't realise he was taking charge of Hibs at the same time. That's uh, <laughs> quite a statement well, from TalkSport there. Because <laughs> listening to the, the show last week, I think we, were, we made the continual gag of like, do, do you know what Livingston would need? Somebody like Neil Warnock to come in and do a wee <laughs> shift to the end of the season. So maybe he is doing it. What what a job this guy's doing. Aberdeen and Hibs to the end of the season. Well, I think you know? I think, uh, I think after Talksport noticed the, their error, they changed it to, to Aberdeen and someone uh, very uh, poignantly pointed out, it's like, wow, only an hour in the, in the Hibs job and he's already gone up to Aberdeen. That's brilliant. What else we got? Well, I mean, like this, this isn't isn't proper football. It's American football, but of course, it was a Super Bowl mm. just at the weekend. There, I'd, I mean, it's a sport I've absolutely zero interest in. But one thing I did see that was kind of going viral, and it's nothing to do with Taylor Swift. It, it, it was something that uh, I mean, it was picked up across multiple multiple um, outlets. But 
there, there was a section of the game where something had happened, like there was a foul and it was like for a shirt pull or whatever the equivalent is in American football. But <laughs> the, the lower third, there's a graphic that comes up and sponsored by Nickelodeon, Dora the Explorer comes up and explains what the foul is that the referee's given. <laughs> and it just got me thinking, like, is this something we should try and implement in Scottish football? Like, yes. can you imagine if we did this in Scottish football? Imagine like the, the, one of the last old firm games of the season, the titles on the line, tensions are rising. There's oh, it's cut into a big VAR call, and all of a sudden the singing kettle pops up and <laughs> saying something like, The referee's a big mason if he gives us to Rangers. Hooray! <laughs> like it would be absolutely class. I think we should get in there. I was trying to figure out what reference to go for there. Like, is it going to be the singing kettle or Mr. Boom? Mr. Boom! Oh, I feel Oh my so god, Mr. Old. Boom was amazing. That was the yeah, guy in the moon, wasn't it? That was oh, it, yeah. I absolutely oh. loved Mr. Boom. I went to see it live. Yeah, I saw him live as well. We were probably at the same show then. Probably, probably. <laughs> I I can't even really remember. Mr. Boom was like, the theme song was like, come over the moon, over the moon to me. And he was just like this weird wee guy that would, uh, I don't know, sing songs. I'm going to start the petition right now to get um, <laughs> kids, Scottish kids cartoons and characters to come up telling us what the rules are. <laughs> Uh, can I just finish off with uh, something that happened to me over the weekend? So I was up in Glasgow working for BBC Scotland for uh, the the Scottish Cup. I was working in sports team, which was a class thing, like ticking a big, big old box there, like in my career, like being able to go up and actually work in a programme that I've watched all my life. But it gave me a really unique opportunity because the pundit on Sunday night was Marvin Bartley, who, as we all know, is the manager of Queen of the South, my local team. And my dad goes there pretty much every home game. And he's sponsored match balls in the past and he's tried to he's always, you know, tried to, to you know help the club um as much as possible. And I just thought it would be really, really good to um tell Marvin what my dad might have been saying this season, which was really funny. And uh, I I thought I'd set up my dad and this is kind of how it turned out. Oh, Patrick, Patrick, Patrick. <laughs> Can't wait to see you at the next game. We're going to come down and we've arranged it. So we're going to have a chat about what you've been saying about me and the players. Uh, hope you're well, mate. And hopefully you can make you a little bit happier in the coming weeks. See you soon. Regrets, no, it's good luck on it. So. I didn't find it funny. Kicking off our news section of this exciting podcast that has so far had pancake chat, Dora the Explorer and Penny Sweets. Um, Ross County have, uh, well, Ross County after last week, um, last week's podcast recording, they announced that Derek Adams got the sack. Surprise! Did he not like quit? Oh, it was mutual agree. Yeah, it was like a mutual. You had a chat with the chairman. And, yeah. It was almost like they saw each other on each end of the corridor and were like. Yeah, 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 <laughs> probably, yeah. And uh, so, but it gives a unique, well, not a unique opportunity, but a big opportunity for someone like Don Cowie, um, who's been announced as interim manager. Um, and he's been around at that club for a long time. He knows it inside out. We thought that about Derek Adams, but maybe Don's going to be a little bit nicer, Laura. This whole story, this whole um, debacle, shambles this season of... Adam's been around for what, like two weeks is what it feels like. Um, Stubby holiday. He's come, he's saw, he's absolutely not conquered in the slightest. 
and he has left with his tail between his legs because it's been an absolute embarrassment. The, the quotes that he has came out with will be going down in Scottish football hit history to to come up here and complain about the standard to say that Morecambe were 100 times better than Ross County it is nothing short of insulting of Scottish football it is nothing short of embarrassing for him to not be able to detect that before he comes up what he was coming into and to not be able to turn it around and for Motherwell to absolutely pump them 5-0 and end his time <laughs> in charge it was very fitting and Sorry, Derek, but don't let the door hit you on the way out. You will not be missed from Scottish football. It was just such a peculiar thing because he came up here like we've seen quite a few people coming from down south. You know, Joey Barton's one of the first examples that comes to mind. But these people that come up here thinking it's going to be a total skoosh because, they, you know, it's like, oh, I'm a Billy Big Bollocks down in England. Like, I know what's going on. And you, you maybe start understand that hubris of, of of an English person who's never played or been in the game up here. Derek Garris has been in the game up here for years before he went yeah. down to to England. He knows it inside out. But it was just it was just the the hubris that he came up with, and and that whole line about like uh, I've left a club, Morecambe, that's a hundred times better, one hundred times better, and we're like. Mate, if only you could have lasted 100 days, 100 days in Scottish <laughs> football. Do you know what I mean? Wait, I think he lasted like played, 79. He played twice for Ross County and he managed Ross County in three different spells. Yeah. He yeah. knew exactly what he was coming into. And the fact that he's just, he's absolutely embarrassed himself. He'll never be back. I mean, he could he could go and take, uh, like go back to Plymouth, for instance, take them to the Premier League, get them into Europe. He would never be offered the Scotland job. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. no no Scottish football fan would ever welcome <laughs> Derek Adams back. Um but I'd gladly invite him onto the podcast. He sounds like a right laugh. Oh I after everything I've just said. Come on. Yeah, come on then. Defend yourself. Um yeah, that would be that would be funny. It won't happen. Um we should talk about one of the uh really big stories to come out over the last couple of days. But it's probably have to take with a pinch of salt and it's not the most juiciest story um but it's certainly interesting and when you look at the leadership of you know our game but we'll we'll go through it as best as we can so half of the clubs in the scottish premiership have publicly expressed their concern about the independence and transparency of a review into scottish professional into the scottish professional football league's governance League Two side Stennis Muir have also backed those clubs and have themselves questioned the overall governance, particularly surrounding the ability to amend the original draft of the report itself before it was even presented to the rest of the board. And Aberdeen were actually named um, by Sky Sports as the club who have also apparently been allowed to add their input to the, the auditing process of this review. But as of yet, this report has not been released to any of the clubs and all 42 members are paying for this review to happen as well and that nothing has been given to them. So anyway, the comments made by SPFL Chairman Murdoch McLennan uh, was issued without approval or knowledge of those member clubs, which has also added further concern surrounding this whole review and how the league is governed. It's, it's mad, this, really, because we, we always try to talk up Scottish football. We always try to find answers and ways and of trying to progress um, our game up here. But there has always been a hanging question mark over if the right people are looking after the thing we love the most. 
What do you think of this, Finn? Well, I I, I think this is um, this is part of a, a much much bigger picture. And as you're saying, it's something that's been ongoing for a much longer period of time. I, I actually see this happening. If it's boring or complicated or whatever, I I do see it as a sign of of something good or something going in the right direction. And to explain why, I, I think it's kind of important just to jump back a little bit mm-hmm. um, and, and give a little bit of context to why I think this is going to be a good thing going forward, uh, hopefully. And it, well, it makes me hopeful about our future governance of the game because I don't think it's really uh, much of a contesting thing to say that the governance of our game has not been great over the last number of years and for a number of different reasons. But... What I want to go back to very briefly to explain the context of why I think this is is just in 2012, the whole thing with Rangers. No matter what side of the argument you're on, there was a lot of bad blood around about 2012, especially from the teams, I think, in the top flight or the teams that would be seen as Rangers rivals. The debacle after the 2016 Scottish Cup final with the fans invading the pitch and the fights and blah, blah, blah. The whole COVID season, which... Um, you know the whole Dundee spam filter there's also outside of that being we'll come on to the, the thing that kicked this all off the cinch sponsorship deal but in a wider context the TV deal the sponsorship of the league there have been a lot of things where um, the SPFL governance has been called into question by Rangers quite a lot of times but a lot of other clubs after the fact as well mm. and I think if we're being honest a lot of the times the SPFL in quite a lot of ways, their response was almost like a kind of like, oh, look, bad Rangers, look what they're trying to do in, in trying to stoke derision in the game and all of this kind of stuff. When we got to the cinch, like, this is irrespective of not trying to say that Rangers were right or wrong in any of these cases or whatever, but just there was a lot of bad blood there. With the cinch thing, um, I think they tried that same approach again of being like, look at Rangers, kicking up a fuss, making a big meal of it, annoying everybody else, you're losing out money, all these other clubs... But it was the first time a lot of the other clubs were just like, well, hang on, they're in the right here. I think that's kicked off a lot of things in people's brains being like, there's something not quite right here, which is what this report then was kicked off by, which is they're, they're, they're trying to independently be like, well, what's going on at the top level of the game? So the fact that they've the SPFL have tried to audit a report, an independent report, before it goes out and is fully seen and taken in by all the member clubs who have paid for it. It's just bizarre to start with. But coming just round finally to close this off, I see this as quite a positive thing, especially because clubs like Aberdeen, a club famously that don't brilliantly get on with Rangers, certainly not on a supporters level, for them to be coming out as part of a joint statement saying, look, we actually stand with Rangers and a whole bunch of other clubs in our concern for the governance of our game. So this is something that supersedes club rivalry or anything else. There's something not quite right and we want to try and get to the bottom of that. I see that as a huge step forward. And I'm not um, I'm not wanting, you know, clubs like Aberdeen or Rangers or Celtic or whatever to be like best pals. They shouldn't be because the rivalry and the tensions and the the yeah. the bam pottery and the fan bases and stuff is brilliant. This is how our game survives and thrives. It's brilliant. But at a, a, a more pragmatic level, at a kind of governance level of our clubs, there has to be an end to this hating each other to death kind of thing and there has to be a working together to try and make things better for the game in general and that will only come when clubs work together so it's brilliant for me to see clubs like Rangers, Aberdeen and all of that coming together to try and stoke change. The whole point of this is the lack of transparency and this lack of them just acting on things 
without consulting their members, the people that they are there to represent and to look after. And they're not doing that. So there is a there is a lack of leadership there. I feel like this is a subject that Finn gets very passionate about. I personally think this is the most boring story of all time. <laughs> Good for you, Laura. What Finn is talking about is everything that happened in the summer when the investigation first started. The fact that now the story has came out that six clubs are claiming a lot of things. Now, the whole, now sorry, I'm just going to break this down. I read a lot about this story and I came away with so many more questions than I did answers mm. because it is not clear at all. The media aren't covering it in a lot of depth. There's a few really good articles on it, but it's not hitting the big headlights like when COVID season ended and there was a Dundee spam gate and Rangers wanted to conduct this investigation along the hearts and um, Partick Thistle and Stranraer. But it's not getting the same coverage this time around. And I think it is, well, partly because probably people are kind of bored by it um, and also there's not a lot of information out there we don't mm -hmm. quite know what exactly are they investigating what exactly was in the investigation report that was then changed what exactly are the clubs claiming is um, the issue and then what are the SBFL actually coming out and saying that's factually incorrect these clubs are wrong we don't actually have a lot of information on this so for me, it's just a bit like, okay, we'll all complain about and we'll all be moan about the um, SPFL, the governing body. They aren't good enough. Um, Scottish football isn't run properly. It's not a new debate. We all know this. This is quite factual. Um, but I just kind of wish these clubs just did it all behind the scenes and aired their kind of problems within each, between each other. And then we just get fed the final conclusion and not all the messy politics at the same time because this is dull. <laughs> well, the, it is, it, there is an element of, you know, piling heat on a governing body that 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 is that is fair to say, you know, like because six clubs have came out or well, they've they've they've, they've, they've banded together and the, the statement came uh, was released from Rangers, wasn't it? Um, and it no, was it was released. It was released it was jointly released. by all six clubs. It, it, okay. it, it's, it's, a, it's a group thing. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, that that. It's nice to see some unity involved there, but of course it's there to add pressure onto a governing body that have a lot to answer for. Still, it still is the simple case of that. We still haven't had the the Deloitte report on finance that was never released. So there's no there's there's a real severe lack of transparency um, that a lot of Scottish football fans are genuinely interested in because I think a lot of us want to try and find the answers even though we might not be in the, the, the heart of it all, I think there's a lot of people dedicated in Scottish football, um, fan media particularly, that what that, that come up with some really good ideas. To talk to your point, Laura, about like, it is really boring. It is. Like this, it, it <laughs> kind of mirrors like politics in real life. And like to, to you saying, oh, I'd love them to just all do it in the background. I think the clubs have tried that. I, th I think a lot of the time they try to do it. The only way you get traction is if you take stories like this public and it becomes something that's that's an issue then for supporter bases and, and something wider than just stuff that's going on at boardroom level because that's the only way you can really make change. Who's the Scottish football version of Malcolm Tucker? That's what we need. <laughs> it's going to be like, buckety bye. For some reason, Michael Stewart popped into my head. I don't know why. Wow, Michael but, Stewart. I mean, yeah, I think the, the main issue here, as you talked about, Andrew, is the transparency. The point of an independent inquiry is exactly that. It is nothing to do with the governing bodies or the other parties. 
that they're investigating. It's to be done independently with nobody connected to it. It's not supposed to be doctored. It's supposed to be presented as it is found independently. Mm -hmm. And that hasn't happened. The SPFL have changed. We don't know to what level or what they've done, but it's known that they have changed what is in this document. They've commented about it publicly without allowing any of the member clubs who have paid for it to to um, pay for it to happen to see it. If that happened at a government level, like if this was the SNP that commissioned an independent report, got it back, doctored it before publishing it, that's that's kind of scandalous. It's just not how it should work. And I think that's why it's such a, an area of concern, adding to a lot of other concerns that these clubs have about the governance of our game. I'm just going to say, Dunfermline fans, Dunfermline, well done tonight. You pumped this next word out. Right, well, there's been some pretty difficult moments in football over the years. Uh, we've had some on-field life-threatening issues. We've had Christian Eriksen in the Euros, Fabrice Moamba, let's not forget, and also we'll never forget Phil O'Donnell. Um, but as a lot of us football fans know, with referees, their main duty of care is to look after the safety of players on the pitch. Something we've talked about at length as well before. Um, we've had the Hearts Doctor on this podcast before, just before Christmas. But one of the most important stoppages is when head injuries are suspected. Um, the game has to stop to allow treatment, but that never happened at the weekend. And the only premiership match of the weekend, actually, between St. Johnston and Dundee. So there was a horror clash, I'm sure you've seen it, between St. Johnston captain Liam Gordon and Dundee's Michael Mellon. But the referee... David Monroe waved play on when this incident happened, but credit where it's due, the Dundee doctor ignored the official's decision and went <laughs> onto the pitch to treat the player. And I just don't know, I don't know why. Tony Doherty came out and absolutely lambasted the referee um, for what happened. And it's just, I don't know why, when things have happened wrongly in the past, I know this is, I know mistakes can happen, Laura but this was pretty bad. Yeah, this is happening too often and not enough clubs or medical teams are calling it out, I think. Um, we often see stoppages, sorry, lack of stoppages. You see a, a boy going down, <laughs> clearly having a head knock and the ref is like giving them the benefit of the doubt. It's like playing out the, the phase of play and then he'll check on them. And it shouldn't, it's not about when the ball goes out. It is as soon as that's happened, stop the game. It's not about, oh, he's, he's went over on his ankle. We'll, we'll go and see if he's okay or if he needs to go off the pitch. No, that is a serious, serious matter. Um, and I think when we don't have a lot of um, evidence and information on the effects of head knocks, we've obviously got the, the things from the past with like the, the heavy balls and the dementia and the, the links in that sense. But right now, when we don't have a lot of facts, we have to take precautions. And you've got you've got to err on the side of caution here, and that is it's too serious a subject to then mm -hmm. just just play on. So in this case, the Dundee medical team were seeing that the game wasn't getting stopped, and and just it went on and and fair play to them because they could have potentially saved something very serious happening. Yeah, yeah. I actually text uh, Michael Mellon's dad, Mickey. <laughs> um, uh, just because we've 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 spoken to Michael, he's been on the podcast before when he was at, at Dundee United, 
Um, just to check in, and he did say that he's just got a bit of a sore head. He's doing all right. I appreciated the message, but I, I just, I wonder, you know, sometimes in football, like managers will find ways around things, and it made me think of uh, Jose Mourinho when he kind of found a loophole where the likes of he taught John Terry and Gary Cahill that if one of you go down and you don't get up, make sure you go down as well. Because if you have two centre-halves that are down, the referee has to stop the game. That's just a weird rule. I don't know if there's that's so still a rule. But there's, there's weird nuances in, in football rules and refereeing that Jose just found a reason. That, you know, sometimes you see in matches a goalkeeper might go down randomly. But hypothetically, had the Dundee medical team ran on the pitch when St. Johnson are in an attacking phase at that point, you could technically argue, well, they've affected the game. Mm-hmm. And you, you, and yeah, they're, they're, okay, yes, you can be completely cynical and say teams will try and cheat and try and take advantage of it or try and con the ref in some way. But let's be realistic. The amount of times that that's actually going to happen and there's evidence that they've done the right thing, that they, they, they have actually suffered a head knock. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and if they, they find that they're cheating, well, punish them then. Give the player a yellow card or, mm-hmm. or take take action afterwards. But it's not enough to say we're just going to not do it because on the off chance a team are going to cheat and it, find a loophole. Exactly. But yeah. I just The reason I was making that point was I hope that that's not what's going on in a referee's mind. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the, the whole point of all of this is just to make sure players are safe. And uh, Chris Sutton's been like a really good campaigner for this. His dad uh, passed away with dementia and he was also a, you know, a big footballer. You know, concussion in football. It's all a big debate and it should just be like, you know, we should be talking about this more. Um, and we shouldn't certainly be talking about it just because off the back of a weekend where there was a dangerous moment. It should just, I hope it, the, the discussion is continuing. There is definitely a point around, you know, the dark arts and, and time wasting and simulating things to do, to, to, um, to try and see a game out or get an advantage over an opposition. But I think you're right. Like this, especially with head knocks, it's different from like, you know, even if somebody breaks a leg or does a ligament, a cruciate ligament or something like that, like you'll live, <laughs> you'll get through it. But head knocks, I, and I would say anything to do with like heart conditions or something like that, like the Christian Eric thing or whatever, like they're, they're literally, they can be life and death. Um, so they can't be afforded the same kind of treatment as like, oh, is he play acting? Is he doing something? It's like, nah, yeah. stop the game. Like it's really, really serious. Um, and if there is a question of the referees thinking that players might be gaming them, maybe something to look to to combat that would be something that um the MLS have implemented this season which is um they completely changed the 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 way that they they tried to cut down on time wasting so they implemented uh, a a rule where if the referee stops play due to a, a potential player injury the player might be required to leave the field for three minutes it's kind of like a little sin bin but it's been Mm. hugely successful so i think there's been an 80 percent reduction in extended stoppages due to on-field treatment and it's because if players know that they're going to cost their team and if also if it just gets odd there's there's no there's nothing to be lost like even if you're saying laura like you know oh st johnson are in an attacking phase or whatever give them the the free kick to restart from where they were and add the time on at the end for for the for the injury. I I don't see what the issue is with that when a player's health and well being could potentially be on the line, and that has to be the first focus of 
the clubs and the officials on a match day, without question. We can't be having that, mate. You better get your finger out alright and make sure that you get the f-ing results. Well, as I've already alluded to, the Scottish Cup fifth round was over the weekend and there was some interesting results. Greenock Wharton had the best one, without doubt. Like, absolutely amazing um, to get into the quarterfinals for them. Dougie Emery is going to fight it out with Hearts for a place at Hamden. So they'll be hoping to do the same as they did to Motherwell, Laura. Sorry, I always go to you when it comes to Motherwell. Um, but Hearts were pretty good um, at the weekend as well. I did their game. Pretty good. Lauren Shankland, unbeatable at the moment. I'll just I'll just read out the, the, the draw as it is then. So Green at Morton will play Hearts on the 9th of March. Celtic will play Livingston because Celtic beat St Mirren. Livingston narrowly got through. Um, it was a last minute, I think it was, uh, against Partick Thistle. Uh, a last well, minute of stoppage of extra time as well. Yeah, mm. yeah, amazing. Um, <laughs> and then Aberdeen will play Kilmarnock. Hibs against Rangers. First thoughts? Aberdeen Kelly's quite a boring tie. It's just an early game. Um, <laughs> Hibs, Rangers. It's not. Do you know what? It's not. It's not at all. It's uh, this is I got, there was a good article about um uh, so Neil Warnock and uh, Derek McInnes. The last time they I think the last time they faced each other was a tie that was that got labelled the the Battle of Bramall Lane when McInnes was a player and McInnes um, scored. Oh, scored, yeah. Oh, McInnes was playing. Yeah, I yeah. was going to say. That's, that was decades ago. That kind yeah. of been, That was like late 90s. So Neil Warnock was manager of, of, was it Sheffield Wednesday? Sheffield United, I think Sheffield it was. Sheffield United, yeah. sorry. Yeah. And, and Derek McInnes was at um, was West, West Brom. Brom. Must West have Brom. been at the time, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the game had to be abandoned. Because I think it was three two. Game got abandoned because there wasn't enough players in the pitch. Derek McInnes walked off with like a plaster around his head, <laughs> like just tape around his head. And and then um, the ma- the manager, I think it was a Gary Megson, the manager for that West sounds Office, about right. Gosh, that yeah, was, yeah, um, yeah, that was that was a disgrace. Neil Warnock side tried to like you know cheat. His players were cheating and all this stuff. And Neil Warnock came out and was like. I, I loved my players' attitudes. <laughs> I loved, absolutely loved all that stuff. So no, I think that would be quite interesting. I might be wrong, actually. I think they may have faced each other as managers when... They McInnes might have done when McInnes was at Bristol. Yeah, yeah I think yeah, they yeah, would yeah. have done. But yeah, that, well, there's, it's there's, still tasty. It could be a bit tasty there, Laura. Sorry. <laughs> no, fair enough. You've talked it up now. You've absolutely sold it to me. The rest of the ties are boring. Like, we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To be honest, I'm kind of with Laura. I, I, The magic of the cup for me is always when it's lower league teams yeah. g- getting further in the competition. That's so why Greenock being in it is awesome. It is. And they I, won't stay in it I, though. So kind of, the magic's kind of lost after the fourth round. Well, make a clip of that, Finn. What will you do if they get through, Laura? Oh, I'm not falling for that. Hamden, I dare you no. to shave your head. <laughs> that would get you. me out of the house a lot quicker in the morning. I'd get longer <laughs> in my bed and I'd, I'd make it to work on time. I'd be all for that. So is that a dare? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. That's a shame. Right, well, shall we talk about the Nations League draw? Because yep. we all we're all delighted to be in the the top tier, just to kind of laugh at England a wee bit. Um, but Laura, do you want to take us through the draw? Yeah, I think this is a great draw. Actually, um, we've got Croatia, Portugal, and Poland, and I really don't think we could have asked for much better. Uh, obviously, we were coming up against the best teams in the world, 
Um, as I kind of explained last week, we have to try and stay in League A for the benefit of qualifying for the Euros in 2028. Um, and this is our best chance. Um, don't get relegated. Uh, if we come third, we will have a relegation playoff. Just don't go down. But these are three <laughs> teams that are actually beatable. Um, I mean, when we talked about the draw for the World Cup, Finn was given it all, we're going to win the World Cup if we play Portugal, because he was that confident that the team <laughs> who hadn't dropped a single point in the qualifiers were the easiest tie for us. So, yeah. you know, Finn's talked, talked me into that. Right, okay, cool, we're going to beat Portugal. Croatia, like... Modric, is he going to play? Is he not? Is he around the international mm. scene anymore by September time? Probably not. Let's well, hopefully not. Um, we've we've played we've beat Croatia in the past twice. They lost to Wales last year. They, yep, and Poland. Look, they are extremely beatable. We've we've shown with Norway. Even if you've got one star man, doesn't mean that you are to be feared. We can, can we can control. We've beat Poland before in the past. We've mm-hmm. also had some heartbreaks against Poland in the last minute, which I don't really want to go into. But like, I'm really confident with this one. I'm I'm quite happy with the draw. I think we've also got um, a strangely good record against Croatia, considering they've been one of the best teams in the world for the last like thirty odd years, consistently reaching World Cup finals and things like that. But there was something mad. Like I think uh, up until losing at the Euros. That we'd only lost to them once before, or something like that. But it was always like, um, remember we beat them like one nil away in Croatia. Mm-hmm. It was Strachan's first game in charge. Mm-hmm. It didn't mean anything because we were already at qualifying. But Snod Snodgrass scored, mm-hmm. and it was like, but but it continued this insane run. I think we'd played them eight times and won five or something like that. It was I've ridiculous. Got, I've, got so, it, I've got it here. Got, um, England have lost well more times uh-huh. to them than we have. <laughs> so they're a bogey team. Scotland have played Croatia. Six times, one twice, drawn three. When was the defeat? In the Euros. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Portugal are a very good team, but I, I still think we we could get something here, especially at Hamden and Poland. I, there's much of a muchness between us. What are we like? Thirty sixth in the world rankings here. Thirty one. Lewandowski's amazing, but a fading light. They've got a couple of other great players as well. But yeah, I'm with you, Laura. I, I feel good about that group. The last three results with Poland have ended in draws, score draws. Um, we the last winner was a friendly. We don't, which was we don't talk about the two each game. Do not talk about that. We've actually played Portugal more than any of those sides, amazingly. 15 times. They've won way more than us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still annoyed at Portugal because Ali McCoy broke his leg against them in 1993. <laughs> And he was out for ages with it. Um, so I, yeah, as as a six or seven year old at the time, I was absolutely raging with that. But <laughs> so I've never really liked him, to be honest. Oh wow, what a wait! What a reason to not like a nation. <laughs> <laughs> Although they 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 scudded the England out on penalties, didn't they? Yeah. In Euro two thousand and four. Yeah. So you know, swings and roundabouts. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Like, yeah. it would be great to get carried away and go, yeah, we're going to win the Nations League. I'm not that fussed about that. It would be, it's, it's, it would go with the Corin Cup in, in the kind of pointless trophies. To me, yeah. it's all about staying league and help it, help us benefit from the backdoor qualification route. That, to me, is what the Nations League is. Anything else is a bonus. Something a bit different now. Um, we're going to turn our attentions to an area of football we often don't talk about, to be fair. 
How would you feel if you went to a game and you could only hear the action and not actually see the action? That's how some visually impaired supporters experience matches and we wanted to find out how well clubs across the country are set up to accommodate them. John Attenborough is a visually impaired Dundee United fan who travels to games all across Scotland and the UK with his guide dog, Sam. John, so I th- really appreciate you giving us your time. Just for some context, can you explain a bit about your visual limitations and how long you've you've suffered from it? Yeah, no worries. Thank you for thank you for having me having me on today. Um yeah, so I was actually born um visually impaired. Um I've always had no sight at all in my right eye. But up until about sort of maybe 10 years ago, I had reasonably good sight in my left eye, which has kind of deteriorated over the past sort of like five, 10 years, really. Um, but I've always been a massive football fan and I'm a big Dundee United supporter. So, um, yeah, I I used to sort of go to go to games when I was young and I didn't sort of need any mobility aids or that. And I could kind of reasonably see what was happening on the pitch and that but to start like to start with it was all about kind of the atmosphere and you know being 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 a part of the crowd and you know supporting your team. John you've been working with clubs and and league bodies as well uh, to improve access for supporters like yourself can you tell us a wee bit about that? Yeah so um, one of the things I've been doing is trying to sort of help clubs improve access for visually impaired supporters and provide um, sort of services to make them more uh, included in the match day experience. So over the past, I would say probably five years, clubs have, uh, some are some are a bit longer than that, but clubs have started to introduce uh, what we call audio descriptive commentary. Um, and that, this is a different uh kind of commentary to what you would hear on the radio or television it's it, it's basically the commentators are trained to kind of describe the movements of the ball and they'll give like uh sort of nuanced information as well so they might say something like um like when the players are coming out they might say something like oh Andy Robertson's got a new hairstyle this week or <laughs> um John McGinn's playing in pink boots or something like that, you know, just to give you that sort of visual context that you're missing out on that that other people are. And, and basically what they are is they're like little headsets that, that, that they give you with a little radio that can kind of like just go into your pocket and you can sort of sit anywhere you want in the stadium and you can tune into the to the live commentary, which is done by uh, mostly their volunteers who are who are in the ground on a match day. John, in in your viewpoint, then where we are now, how successful do you think this has been so far, and what what else, or how far do clubs need to keep going and pushing uh, with this development? So I think seven out of twelve clubs in the uh, Premiership offer this service to their visually impaired supporters, and I think I think I'm right in saying it's five out of ten of the championship clubs that provide mm-hmm. it as well. And there's a couple of sort of League One clubs who are who are doing doing it. So it's it's definitely a service that um more clubs should look at providing because I think uh, one of the clubs I spoke to, Hamilton, they were like, Oh, well, we don't really have many visually impaired supporters who come along to the games. 
And they're like, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll put it in. And now I think they've got actually a few people that regularly go to their games who use it. So it's kind of like one of these things, you know, build it and they will come. Mm -hmm. sort of things. And um, I think that for a lot of visually impaired supporters who maybe aren't used to going to the games because they, you know, they, they think that these services aren't available, um, it would encourage more supporters to go and, uh, be part of the match day experience, you know, go along to their local club and they can, you know, sort of tune into the commentary and then they don't have to, you know, like sit at home and listen to it on the radio or or whatnot. So I think um, the more clubs who are providing this kind of service, it's a kind of win-win for both the supporters and the, the football clubs. Mm -hmm. You're saying that you sit, you can sit anywhere you want when you're listening to this. Um, what it, taking into consideration then that you're just sitting in with the average punter in the stand? What else can clubs do to help you in other ways apart from the commentary? Yeah, so I mean, access is a big thing, um, and it is particularly difficult with a lot of Scottish grounds because of how old the stadiums are, and that. So making adaptations isn't easy, but. Um, a club that I always um, kind of use as a reference uh, for a club who does access very well at a very sort of low cost is St Johnston. So they have things like a at your seat catering service where if you're sitting in a specific area and they know you've got the commentary headset or if you're in a wheelchair, Navigating the concourse at like half time or before the game can be really difficult, especially if it's a busy match day or and you know, trying to locate where it is just to get a pie and a and a coffee or whatever. Um, so they actually have an at your seat service where somebody'll come and take your order and bring it to you at your seat, sort of thing. Um and a lot more clubs are kind of providing like level access and um obviously being having going to games with my guide dog um i can't go through the regular turnstiles they're just far too sort of narrow for like myself and a dog to to get through so uh we go through the sort of accessible side gates and and things like that so i think clubs just making that kind of information available you know, either through their social media channels or on their websites, um, you know, just so that people can have that information available. You know, I, am I going to be able to access the stadium if I'm in a wheelchair or have a guide dog and and things like that? Just just so that they can let supporters know uh, what kind of services they've got available. Tell me a bit about then Sam going to games with Sam. What is that like? How does he cope with that environment? <laughs> He Who does everyone else around him deal with him? Be there as well? <laughs> I think I think I think everybody is kind of Sam's kind of become a bit of uh, um, like oh my god I'm sitting next to Sam today yeah so like, you know like, you know like, that would be me that would definitely <laughs> be me I'd be I'd be very happy to yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you know the people even in away games are like oh my god it's Sam it's not it's, <laughs> it's never it's never oh there's John it's, <laughs> it's yeah. Yeah, but but no, he loved he loves the environment, and he's got. Uh, I mean, me and him have been to games up and down the country at different levels, and um, yeah, he just he just really 
really quite enjoys the experience. I always hold on to his leads though, because I'm sure that if I let go, he would be on the pitch chasing the ball about as creating It'd a become hit. a viral sensation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I would welcome that as well. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Yeah, I sit he sit he usually sits next to me or if we're sitting in what that's our one of the wider access areas in a stadium, he's he's his eyes are fixated on the on the ball, so I'm like, yeah, I'm holding on to the lead with dear life, really. It's... Yeah. <laughs> what What about the kind of next steps? Then, what would you like to have happen, um, within Scottish football to 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 push this out to to all clubs? That that seems like a natural step, but to I don't know, like make the service more professional isn't the right way but you'd want you'd want these volunteers to to find you know maybe a bit of money in their in their back pocket or something like that and take it a bit more you know they're taking it seriously now but you know how far can we push this absolutely i think one of the biggest barriers to clubs is um because there is obviously a cost involved to it you know either buying in the equipment or if it's a local charity who's providing the equipment they have to find the funding to to provide this service so i personally think this should be part of like the sfa or the spfl's budget uh, to provide this uh, across all the member clubs so that it's not just a select few um who are able to provide this service for their supporters it should be you know, something I think it sh- should eventually be rolled out across um, the whole SPFL pyramid structure. Yeah, I totally agree. It's, this isn't, this isn't, for me, just, you know, speaking to you now, this isn't a service that's just a nice thing to do. This is the right thing to do. Right, that's it for another episode. My goodness, we're getting through it to another season, Laura. I don't know how we're doing it. But thanks to you and to Finn and also to John Attenborough as well. Really enjoyed that. Great fun. Uh, Dogs are the best. So, yeah, what else do I have to say? But why are you still here listening to this mince? Go and listen to something else. Goodbye.